0: Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We're continuing our journey through uh, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, uh, as God gave to Israel uh, through Moses on Mount Sinai. We have reflected upon their role, their place in our life in terms of the principles they espouse that reveal to us, relate to us the truth of who God is and who He expects His people to be. And today we come to... uh, one that's uh, that's well known. I guess all of them are really kind of well known. Everybody knows the Ten Commandments. I would assume, at least on some level. But one that uh, I think uh, is not not misinterpreted or misapplied necessarily, but um, is often seen in a more limited fashion than it really was intended to be. Um, a lot of times we we limit this to to speaking, and I think. I hope to be able to show today that it's much more than that. One of the most famous plays in human history is that of Romeo and Juliet. I think we've all um, heard parts, portions of it. Uh, I know I had to read it uh, at several different points during my education uh, to be able to uh, to uh, be able to interact with Shakespeare and his influence and impact on uh, our language and on. Uh, just how we think about things and uh, the balcony scene is certainly one of the most famous you know the Romeo Romeo wherefore art thou Romeo that's where it starts but there's a there's an exchange there's a there's a monologue in the midst of it in in which Juliet is is she's troubled she's worried about the fact that because they come from different families um, that they'll not be able to come together Uh, and she reflects upon the meaning of the name she says Tis but thy name that is my enemy. What's Montague? What's in a name? That which we call Rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And her point there, her 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 her, her desire there is to is to communicate that Romeo's identity is, is not wrapped up in his name. He, he's still the one she loves, he's still the one. That matters to her, and he's still special to her and significant to her and important to her, regardless of what his last name actually is. But I think as the, the the play unfolds and as we see them come to their tragic ending, I think one of the things we discover is that your name is indeed a part of your identity. For good or for bad, for blessing or for cursing, your name plays a role in how we're perceived, how we're understood, how we are uh, how we engage the world around us, and when one comes to scripture, we—I we, know we've all heard growing up or at various times that the, the name reveals the character of the individual. It, it takes on a special meaning in scripture, and so it's not coincidental. I think that that God, as part of His revelation to Israel at this point, stops for a moment after highlighting how we're to understand Him, how He's the the sole God of the universe, how we're not to limit Him uh, in terms of of, uh, images and so forth, things that we've already looked at, and how it's His name that reveals who He is that He now comes in and says, don't misuse that. Don't abuse my name. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, you shall not, take the name of Yahweh your God in vain for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain okay and the fact that our translations today render that that Lord Yahweh as Lord kind of goes to the whole heart of this commandment it's actually that's the reason that we translate Yahweh Lord in our English translations is because of of the the reserve the, the the fear of profaning God's name in, in saying it, even that uh, Jews came to substitute uh, Lord uh, for it, and that's become a part of our translation history, a part of our translation tradition, and so that's the way we more often than not render it. But when we say, "Don't take the name in vain," what what do we mean by that? What is what is the the, the phrase "taking a name in vain" even suggest? taking is expressed most accurately I think by the idea the concept of taking possession of okay I think so often we we read that and, and again we hear it through the lens of, of speaking because that's what our culture is but really it's it's meant to imply or suggest taking possession don't take possession of my name okay and do so in vain that's what God is trying to communicate Similar to in our, in our marriage ceremonies, what the, the wife takes her husband's name. That's the idea. That's the concept that is being expressed with this commandment. And, and vain means what? Vain means empty. To mean nothing. It, 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 the, the word that, uh, that's used there is, is the same word that would be translated elsewhere as, as vapor. Okay, Don't take my name to be like a vapor. Okay? And, and and names mean something. I mean, I think we would all admit that. I mean, you don't see people name their children Adolf or Judas. Okay? You might get a Jude, you might get a Judah, but you don't see a Judas very often. Okay? Or to, to go a little bit more colloquially, if you call someone a Hitler, what are you saying? You call a woman a Jezebel, what are you saying? Names carry meaning. Okay, they, they they are important. And so, how do we break this command? What are some ways in which we break this command? The first way we do break this command, is the way we traditionally understand it, is we do break this command in how we use God's name in our speech. I think we've all heard you know, those, those words. Well, there are certain words we just don't say because you're taking the Lord's name in vain when you say that, whether it's using the name Jesus, as an exclamation, or more uh, modern OMGs, okay? More often than not, we try and change OMG to, oh my gosh, you know, to try and soften that, but that's not really the origin of it. Um, but that's not the only way we, we do it in our speech. I think we take the Lord's name in vain in our speech when we say phrases like, well, the Lord told me. That this is what you need to do. And God really didn't tell us. It's more of our opinion, our way to manipulate the situation. It's more of our, our way to, to win an argument. You know, the Holy Spirit told me this. Well, the Holy Spirit didn't tell me that. So which one of us is right, you know? Um, I think we misuse it. We use it in vain when we turn it into a magical phrase. You know, uh, in our prayers, I think sometimes we can we can slip into using Jesus' name as almost a magical phrase, in Jesus' name we pray. And we say that because it's tradition. We say that because it's culture. We say that because we do want to pray in Jesus' name. But I think sometimes we say that as almost this magical phrase, that if I just throw out God's name, then somehow it's got to happen. It's It's, it's got to be done. And what we're doing when we do that is what? We're turning God into a genie. You know, a magic lamp or something like that where we can manipulate him. If we say things just right, then he has to listen to us, right? Because God's beholden to us, right? Of course not. I don't think any of us would ever actually say, yeah, God owes us something. I don't think anybody would utter that sentence, God owes me a blessing or God owes me this future. And yet, Our actions and our words sometimes communicate that in in how we pray or sometimes, you know, the name it and claim it type ideology that's sometimes a part of who we are. I think we also misuse God's name when we say to someone, well, I'll pray for you. And we really have no intention of praying for them. We're just trying to move the conversation along or, get rid of the awkwardness or, or whatever. Um, and I know in my ministry that that has been a t- temptation back in the past until uh, I came under conviction of it. Someone called me on it, you know, because I said, I'll pray for you in the next week I was there. and And they said, so did you pray for me this week? And I paused because I hadn't. And they were the type of person who could see through that, and they, they called me on it. You didn't, did you? And I came into conviction in, in that exchange um, that if I say I'm going to pray for somebody, usually I do it right there, okay? But I, I also do it later just because I don't want to take the Lord's name. but I don't want to misrepresent God. I don't want to take His name and then use it in a way that's improper. But I don't think misspeaking God's name is the primary means of breaking this command. I don't think that's the primary expression of what this command is actually trying to communicate, what it's trying to relay. Um, I think it has more to do with the life we live. I think we break this command, for instance, uh, in what we approve of that God would not. Okay, We put God's name on certain things. Back in, in 2013, a, a, a activist named Mitch Slater got up in Des Moines, Iowa at, at, a, at, a pod, at a podium at an event. And she spent five and a half minutes thanking God for abortion rights, abortion doctors, and taxpayer-funded abortions. Um, she also referred to the decision to have an abortion as a blessing and even praying for women who have been afraid by their paternalistic religion. She used God's name but I would argue that she applied his approval she applied his name to something he would not in any way be uh, approve of. Well that's the them what about us? I know, in in the especially the last twenty years or so of my ministry, one of the one of the big things that that's constantly come up is the whole worship wars question, and people on both sides of this debate, contemporary versus hymnal, and it, it's it's faded by and large in, in most churches nowadays. It's probably been settled in most churches nowadays, but still, at the heart of that whole debate is what. I have a more accurate picture of who God is than you do. And we end up making something, in most cases, out of nothing. There was a song uh, that came out uh, kind of midway through the the worship wars, it's The Heart of Worship. And it was written as a response to the worship wars, that at the end of the day, you know, the, the big line in the song is, it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it. When It's all about you. It's all about you. We sometimes in our churches, in our desires to move things along, in our support for certain positions in our society, in our culture, we will sometimes attach God's names to things that God would not have his name attached to. It comes out sometimes in our attitude or our focus. When I mentioned Miss Slater earlier, and I'm speaking to myself as much as to anybody in this room, where was the focus of our anger? Was it Miss Slater? Or was it the one who's deceived her? At the idea she's espoused. As Christians, we are called to love our neighbor, and Miss Slater is our neighbor. And to take a tack, to take an approach, to take a, a, a journey in the direction of dehumanizing her is to break the commands that God has given us and uh, apply his name to something he would not approve of. We see it in church groups such as Westboro and, and other places where there's no evidence of the love of God in what's being expressed or espoused. And we need to be careful there. As believers, I need to be careful. You need to be careful that love is always our motivation even when we speak words of correction, even when we speak words of truth, that that is couched in love. Even when we're angry, it's couched in love. Paul said what? Be angry, but sin not. We also break this command by living lives that fail to show who God really is. We do this when our lives don't match His priorities. Because we walk around and we say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but we don't have the same priorities that Christ had. We don't have the same emphases that Christ had. We don't have the the same purpose and direction and drive that Christ had. it's been reported i don't know how true it is that, that gandhi once said i would be a christian but for the christians and i don't know if that's true or not but it's it's true it's certainly a true sentiment that i've experienced over the years why would i go to church when all i'm going to get there is attacked we say that this place is supposed to be a hospital for the sick and the dying but then when people come in who are sick and dying, we attack them instead of heal them. But I think we also break this command in living lives that fail to show who God is by not living lives within His power. There are a lot of people who are believers, and, and I don't question their sincerity and their belief in, in any way, but we live lives, and, and I fall into this trap as well, we live lives that are powerless. We don't walk with the authority and the assurance. We, we try and grab for power and, and influence and manipulate people. Why? Because we don't trust God to do what God has said God's going to do. We we live in insecurity about our futures and a, and about our, our our whole outlook because we don't trust in the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Now I'm not talking about presumption. Presumptions when again when we assume that God owes us something or that God's going to act a certain way when He hasn't clearly given us you know that sort of uh, direction. I'm not saying you climb into your car and say, I'm not going to buckle up because God's got me. That's presumption. But we utter phrases like, well, I'm I'm only human. If you're in Christ, you're not only human. You are a Holy Spirit-empowered being. You have been given direction. You've been given clarity. We need to start living that way. And and I would say that the the principle of this command is grounded in the positive power available to those who belong to Yahweh. But this, this isn't about not doing something. I think there is an implicit do certain things in this as well. There is an implicit call, an implicit challenge that plays out. And, and that plays out, I believe, for the Christian in, in three key, key areas. I think it plays out first in our, in our worship. Because his name reveals a person we connect with. One of my favorite songs um, is there's just something about that name. every time i sing it every time i hear it encounter it, it it resonates with me there is something about the name of jesus that's special that's powerful that's encouraging that's correcting that's comforting there's something about his his nature his essence that's communicated in his name when we sing about Yahweh, or we sing about um, even the Holy Spirit. There's something powerful about that. Our, our worship is driven by His name. It, it 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 tells us that it's not just a a thing up there that we're talking about. It's a person we're talking about. It's a person we have a relationship with. It's a person that we can walk with when we leave that worship experience. It's a person that that can transform us. It's a person that that reveals himself to us, who has not remained silent, but who has told us who he is and what it is he desires. I think sometimes we've so we've taken God in such an abstract direction that that it really doesn't have any impact on on who we are. He is not a part of our everyday life because we've abstracted him to the degree that he's just a thing. And the name reminds us that he's not just a thing. He's a person who's in relationship with us. The name also communicates power in our walk because his name proclaims a character we are called to emulate. many times in scripture do we encounter be holy for I am holy be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect these, these phrases these sentences are, are meant not just to, to call us to a certain behavior but again to call us to a relationship and to understand that that in the name of father and Yahweh and Jesus and Holy Spirit and and The other names that are revealed to us throughout Scripture. There's power there to to do what we've been called to do. God doesn't call us to emulate us and and then say, Why aren't you doing better? You should be able to do this on your own. God calls us to emulate who He is and then empowers us to do just that. And so when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're what? We're praying in a way that that is reflective of His desires, it's reflective of His priorities, and there's power in that. To align ourselves with Him and, and, and His His desires and His commitments is to see a transformed reality, a transformed life. But it's also powerful in our witness, because in our witness, His name proclaims a truth we must proclaim. What does the name Jesus mean? Anybody know? Can anybody tell me what the name Jesus means? Right. Yahweh saves. That's right. In his name is embedded the truth we've been called to That there's one way to salvation. There's one hope for deliverance. There's one path to life. There's one God that we serve, that we worship. There's one church that he's called into existence. There's one spirit that empowers us. Yahweh saves every time we proclaim the name of Jesus, we're proclaiming that truth. That He saves us. He alone saves us. And so as we live our lives, as we carry out these commitments, as we function in our worship and in our walk and in our witness, we do so under the power of His name. And it's in that power, it's in that reality that we uh, we dwell and we function so that we don't declare His name empty or meaningless or vaporous. We declare His name to be something that transforms us, that changes the world, that can change those that we reach out to. And if you're here and you don't have that relationship with Christ, you don't have that, that assurance, that confidence, that that truth in your life and in your existence that Jesus Christ Is your Lord and He is your Savior, He's the one who has transformed you. Then let me invite you today to that relationship with the person who died for you and rose again in power three days later so that you may have life, with the person who has said, I came so that you may have life and have it to the fullest, with the person who said, connect yourself with me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To the person who said whoever would save his own life would lose it. But whoever gives his life, surrenders his life to me, will gain it. Jesus is calling you to proclaim his name. Whoever believes in his heart the God raised from the dead and declares that Jesus is Lord, will be saved. One day we're all going to do it. Paul tells us, John tells us, that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. Will we do that now? When we can enjoy the life and the hope and the eternity that that brings, or will we wait And do it as an imposition. And say it in sorrow. Because we recognize. That we didn't have a relationship with him all along. God is calling you. To see the power of his name today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you. I thank you for this time. I thank you for these people. I thank You for Your Son who died. And it's in His name that we come today to, to declare Your righteousness and Your goodness, to declare the truth of the salvation that You offer, God. And I, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has never surrendered their life to You, who's never entered into a relationship with You, who's never called on Your name for salvation, that You would draw them and that they would respond. God, I want to lift up my brothers and sisters here and myself here that you would help us as we leave here this morning to walk in the power of your name. Not just in the sense of your name goes with us, but in the sense of that you are present with us as a person that we can call upon. A person that we can count upon. And that we don't have to live lives of defeat and failure, and loss, but we can walk in the power of your presence, so that even when we experience sorrowful things, and sad things, and losses, and difficulties, we can still find joy, because we found you. I pray that you go with us this morning, in Christ's name, amen. Amen.